I'm Daniel Gowerluck, and this is On Earth. On Earth is brought to you by the Pacific Museum of Earth. In this podcast, we aim to show what it's like to be an Earth, ocean, or atmospheric scientist. There's a lot of diversity under that umbrella, and not all of our scientists wear lab coats. Today on Earth, we're talking to... Cameron Elvis Muskelly. Hello, Cameron, and welcome to the podcast. Now, you are a paleontologist, right? How would you define that? So a paleontologist is a person who studies the fossil record. Um, They look at extinct life that is recorded in the rock record. So we can look at fossils from anything from dinosaurs to some of the smallest creatures like, say, bacteria. And do you have a specialization? So I have a wide variety of different things I like to study on. Um, My particular interest is in local geology and paleontology. Um, I live in the state of Georgia, and there is a lot of fossils here. Well, when I say a lot of fossils, I talk about the fossils that a lot of people don't really appreciate and don't really hear about. Um, Many people talk about the paleontology that's in the western part of the United States, places like in Montana or Wyoming. But Georgia has a fossil record that goes back at least 500 million years. And so it's a really really interesting um, the, the life here, or the prehistoric life here, it's really interesting. So we have things from trilobites to dinosaurs to woolly mammoths to giant ground sloths. Oh, you run the whole gamut. How did you get into paleontology? What did you study in school? Oh, that's a good question. So I'm actually completely self-taught. So I am a, I'm a self-taught paleontologist, and I have been teaching myself about concepts in geology and paleontology for, for a very long time, since I was very little. Um, I've always been interested in extinct life. Um, I've had an interest in dinosaurs when I was about three years old, rattling off names um, to my uh, to my father and my mother um, about any kind of dinosaur name, and I would help them pronounce the names themselves because they couldn't. So I was I was a dinosaur kid growing up, but I had a really great interest in trying to understand how fossils and how everything fit together. And so though that I had an interest in dinosaurs, um, there weren't many fossils around where I can just go out and collect. I live in um, Atlanta and there are no rocks with fossils in them. Um, The rocks that were basically were igneous and metamorphic rocks. And so there aren't any fossils in those. So I pretty much had to look for fossils on my own through going to museums or going to rock and mineral shows and buying fossils or looking at fossils in magazines and books. And so learning about that kind of stuff really um, captured my curiosity. And it even captured my curiosity more when I went to the Fernbank Museum of Natural History down in Atlanta, Georgia. They have a full replica skeletons of two Argentinian dinosaurs, um, some of the largest animals in the world, um, Argentinosaurus and Giganotosaurus, that were found in Patagonia, Argentina. So looking at that, looking up at those skeletons when I was four years old really solidified my interest in dinosaurs and said, and I really, I was like, man, this really is interesting. I want to be a paleontologist. I remember another museum I worked at, uh, we were getting a traveling exhibition of dinosaur fossils, and one of them was the Argentinosaurus. And it was uh, very nerve wracking because we weren't sure it would actually fit in the building. Yeah, the, the Argentinosaurus um, at our museum, it's like, it's 123 feet long, huge animal. Um, imagine something like, I can't imagine anything walking like that. I mean, it would completely destroy the buildings and so and the, um, the cars just going by busy highways. 
Now you're you're in school, right? I am actually headed to school, so I really want to transfer to Georgia State University and study geology there. But currently, I am not enrolled in any um, secondary education at the moment. It is all completely self-taught. Yes, I am all completely self-taught. Um, and you do a lot of field work, right? Yes, I do uh, field work around in the southeastern part of the United States, so places around in Tennessee, um, Mississippi, and of course here in Georgia. So I pretty much stay around in the south. What I specialize is in the Appalachian geology and paleontology region. And so I look at the various different types of fossils there, and I use the fossils that I collect to be able to teach the community about um, what's in their own backyards. We talk about the dinosaurs and fossils that are all around the West, but it's really important for other people to understand what's here in your own backyards. And that's what I like to really teach the community about. Wonderful. I love that paleontology is a field where you can have such a cool job um, without the formal training. Um, right, right. And a lot of paleontologists have really mentored me in the process of getting into academics, learning how to read scientific papers, learning how to interpret fossils and going out in the field. So I really do appreciate them for doing that. Absolutely. Now I find uh, with most careers, they can be a little circuitous. Uh, have you been on a like this track to be a paleontologist your whole life or have you ever uh, wanted to be something else? I have wanted to be something else. Um, I was really um, inspired by Steve Irwin back when I was little and I really, really wanted to be a crocodile hunter. But I, I, I kind of, I, I looked at what he was doing. I'm like, probably shouldn't be, you know, wrangling um, crocodiles or alligators. So I kind of left that behind. Um, I've always gone through my mind. So I wanted to be some kind of scientist. It definitely had to be something in the geology or paleontologic field. Um, I had a interest in minerals. I still have an interest in minerals. It's part of geology. But I really wanted to be a mineralogist. And... Um, I had back and forth being a mineralogist, geologist, paleontologist, um, but I really stuck to being um, going into the field of paleontology because it's just something that I'm really interested in. And the rocks and the fossils complement each other. You know, in, in paleontology is basically the combination of biology and geology and other subdisciplines. But that those are the main particular fields that combine paleontology or, or make paleontology as a science. And so my love, interest in fossils and my interest in dinosaurs and rocks complemented each other. I'm like, yeah, I think I want to become a paleontologist. Funny, one of my uh, paleontological friends always calls paleontology a gateway science. Uh, people get into it and then find out about the biology or the chemistry and uh, right. often find, end up going in a completely different direction. But they get lured into those fields uh, through their interest in fossils. Right, right, absolutely, and it, and it, and it's and it's connecting to so many ways because we can learn for our understanding and learning of paleontology. We can learn about various different other fields. We can learn about the medical field and how we can use instruments in the medical field to be able to figure out what the colors of some dinosaurs were, or even talk about some of what the brain shapes or the skeletal structure of how these creatures work from animals that are you know hundreds of millions, if not billions, of years old. And we can reconstruct that with modern technology from other from other um, disciplines. It's the center of many scientific Venn diagrams. Right, absolutely. Now in your field work, uh, have you made any discoveries that you've cared to share? Um, I haven't met any like big breaking discoveries. A lot of the fossils that I typically find are invertebrates. So the fossils that I look at the most are things like trilobites, brachiopods, crinoids. So I pretty much stay in the Paleozoic realm of things. So fossils that are around 500 million years old or so. Um, I have found a couple of really cool fossil trilobites down in Georgia, where there is a rock formation called the Conestoga Shale, 
and that is about 505 to about 547 million years old, or 497 million years old from the late portion of the Cambrian. And actually in Georgia, we actually have a soft-bodied preservation um, in the Conestoga Formation. So it's really similar to the stuff that's in the Burgess Shale. In fact, some of the animals that are in the Conestoga Formation are very similar, if not the same, sponges and brachiopods that are found in the Burgess Shale in British Columbia. Wow, that's really exciting. Um, I have been able to find some really interesting fossils. So as I said before, I had a paleontology internship in Mississippi, and we've gone through various different Cretaceous um, sites where we have found um, shark's teeth, we have found ammonites, um, echinoids before, um, we have found giant clams, or excuse me, giant oysters called exogyra. And I have found some of those about the size of a... Um, a softball or a grapefruit, some of these oysters can get huge. And um, I found some really big exogyros um, oysters um, in the Cretaceous rocks of um, Mississippi. But I've also found some younger fossils. I found fossil crabs before, um, shrimp burrows, um, sand dollars um, from the Eocene and the Ligocene. So I've been through various different rock units looking at fossils and learning how to interpret the rocks that are still there on the sides of the road or in a quarry. What's your favorite? Ooh, that's really hard. <laughs> well, my favorite fossil for me is the trilobite. Um, I actually have a trilobite tattoo. So, um, and I really like trilobites. I mean, they're so alien-like creatures. When I was first introduced to fossils, when I was, I want to say six or seven years old, um, I really didn't know, I didn't know really where to collect fossils. And I didn't really know too much about fossils besides looking at them, looking at pictures and reading about them in, in, a, um, in a book. But when I was in the second grade, there was a teacher that took me to her collect, that took me down to her classroom and she had a personal fossil collection. And she showed me a collection of various different types of fossils from fossil plants to uh, crinoid stems, to shells, to coral. And one of the fossils that really stuck out the most to me was a fossil trilobite. It was unlike anything that I've ever seen, and it looked very alien from all the other fossils that I saw. And I actually reconnected to her, uh, reconnected with her a couple years, a couple months ago, and she actually gave me that trilobite that sparked my interest in paleontology. That's wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I um, didn't realize how passionate people get about trilobites until I took over the muse museum social media accounts, and Trilobite Tuesday is a really big thing. <laughs> Yes, I always um, contribute to Trilobite Tuesday, so <laughs> it's one of my it's one of my favorite things to contribute to social media. Uh, what are you working on right now? So right now, I'm working on a couple. I'm working on two papers right now. So I'm working on a Carboniferous Shark. Um, we call these holocephalins. Um, these are actually um, they're, they're not necessarily sharks, but they are actually very similar, closely related to chimeras but we call them Carboniferous Sharks for namesake. Um, I'm working on finishing up a paper on a Tennessee specimen from that was found in the Upper Monegal Limestone Formation in Tennessee. And then I'm working on another Carboniferous Shark's tooth that was actually found in Georgia, um, from the state of Georgia. And this is actually uh, a very, it's actually the first taxon known from the, from the state of Georgia. And they're both Carboniferous. So one is um, about, 325 million years old and one is about 340 million years old. So you, these both come from in uh, what we call the lower Carboniferous. In, in North America, it's uh, labeled as the uh, Mississippian. 
And what did you discover with them? Um, basically, we're just looking at the teeth and how they operate. And some of, the, some, some of these teeth can actually be used for crushing hard shells of mollusks. And so various different creatures will go after various different prey. And that's what we would look at in some of their teeth. Some of them were had point, sharp pointy teeth for going after fish, and the other sharks would go after uh, clams and mollusks for crushing, for crushing their shells. It's amazing you can tell uh, that detailed uh, behavior from something that's been gone for hundreds of millions of years. Absolutely. And I actually got to the research just by, just by accident. Um, I'm part of the Georgia Mineral Society in uh, a amateur rock hounding group um, just a couple of miles away from me. And there was the field trip chair person who was actually posting a picture of some of the various different fossils they found on their field trip um, back in 2019. And one of the fossils that she put on her um, put on the website was labeled as a coral. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, this isn't a coral at all. This is a shell. This is a, a tooth from a shell crushing shark. And so I, I sent an email over to one of the field trip chair workers who runs the field trips and um, things like that. And I was like, uh, can you um, give me a little bit more information of where it was found? Any information about the geology? And she sent me a couple of um, details of where it was found, some of the information. And I got connected with Dr. Ryan Shell and Dr. J.P. Hotnet. They're both paleontologists who work on fishes and sharks. And I kind of been able to formulate and create a paper with them. And actually, this is my first scientific paper. And so that should be out in the next couple of months, hopefully be published by next year. Congratulations. That's a big accomplishment. Yeah, it was my, it, yeah, being, being involved in being able to write something that's academic, academically based and being able to be part of a scientific paper really does mean a lot. Now, um, Paleontology is publishing papers and doing lab work, but it's, there's also a lot of field work too. Uh, and one of my favorite parts of these interviews is hearing about people's field stories. Um, do you have any crazy field stories you'd like to share? Any crazy field stories? Um, not as many because I really haven't been in like exotic places where I've done field work. A lot of it has just been local or state to state. I'm actually, actually, I'm actually headed out in the field in Alabama um, in just a couple of weeks to do some collecting on some Carboniferous fossils, um, either um, mainly Paleozoic invertebrates, stuff from the Carboniferous and others from the Ordovician. But, well, there was one that actually, that's really, really funny. And so I was actually looking for fossils um, with a friend of mine in Alabama. And we were actually looking for crinoids and things of that nature on the side of the road, there's a really shaly limestone-like outcrop on the side of the road that contains a lot of fossils. And so I had to go to the bathroom and there was no bathrooms out there. And so I had to take a leak and right by my foot rolls a beautiful blastoid, um, museum quality blastoid. So if anyone doesn't know what a blastoid is, a blastoid is an echinoderm. It looks very, very similar to that of a crinoid, but you know, a little bit different. And it kind of has this nut shape to it. And it was just rolling by my foot as I was going back out and looking for fossils in a museum quality blastoid. It was literally right by my foot. And I showed it to my friends, like that's probably one of the be most beautiful blastoids I've ever seen. That's amazing. I love that. <laughs> now uh, with a field like paleontology, um, it's really interesting, but why do, why do you think it's important? What are the real world 
uh, applications of paleontology? Good question. Paleontology for me has been important for many different ways. You know, a lot of people get this notion that paleontology is just about dinosaurs. It's like Jurassic Park, and it's nothing like that. Paleontology encompasses organisms and, and studies the remains and the traces and activity of organisms for over billions of years. And so we can really learn from paleontology from learning, from learning about what has happened in our own civilization today. Um, one of the biggest things that, are, that we're facing right now in the world is climate change and you know human-made climate change. And we can learn about what climate has changed during the past. We can look at um, how, that, how we are contributing to changing the environment and how we're actually changing not just the environment, but just the geology. You know, we're changing the geology of the earth. And we can look at that through, you know, if we're going back in the past, we can look at the geology today. And so I think humans are, are a big factor into com contributing to man-made climate change. And we can learn about paleontology, from, in, about geology, from learning what we're doing in our own environment. We can learn about oil um, and uh, gas explorations, because in order for you to do that, you have to know where the oil is. And the oil is locked up in sedimentary rocks where fossils are found. And you have to be able to be able to look at the nanoplankton, or what we call index fossils, to be able to search out where that oil comes from. And you can only learn that through aspects in geology and paleontology. I remember the first time someone told me that you can look for oil by looking at fossils. Um, it just blew my mind. <laughs> right, right. Fossils are the key. And I love what you said about how it's more than just dinosaurs. Uh, whenever we talk about paleontology, that's where everyone's mind goes. But dinosaurs are actually really recent <laughs> compared right, to right. the stuff that you're looking at. Yeah, uh, most of the things that I look at aren't dinosaurs. Most, in fact, even the most of the rocks that I look at aren't even were formed during the age of the dinosaurs. I have been, I have looked at dinosaur fossils. In fact, one of the things that I would love to study are dinosaur fossils from the southeastern part of the United States. Um, in North America, during the late, later part of the Cretaceous, it was cut by a Western Interior Seaway. So there was a seaway cutting North America in two. And in the West, you had Laramidia, and in the East, you had Appalachia. And there's different dinosaurs on both of those continents. And one of the things that I want to learn are about the dinosaur fauna that is found in the Eastern part of the United States. So that's one thing that I'm really interested in in regards to dinosaur paleontology. But yeah, paleontology is way more than just dinosaurs. Um, I have never dug up a dinosaur in my life. Um, I have touched dinosaur fossils in museum collections, but most of the fossils that I have collected and I have um, seen come from fossils or come from rocks that are about 500 to 400 million years old. Now you're clearly really passionate about paleontology. Uh, what's the best part of, about it for you? Paleontology for me is, man, I, yeah, I'm, I'm very passionate about the field. I'm very passionate about the science. I, I like this. I like to say that fossils are basically. I will. I like to call myself a time traveler, because we use the rocks and the fossils around us to be able to go back in time. Now, of course, we won't literally be able to go back in time, but basically, the rocks are the time machine. We're able to look at various different rocks that are around the world, and be able to picture what the environment was like over hundreds of millions of years ago. So one of the things that keeps me going, one of the things that I'm very passionate about is be able to teach people about the science, is be able to communicate with others about how cool and how interesting, you know, paleontology is. Because when a person may looks at a rock or may looks at a fossil, they just think it's just some ordinary rock. Well, that rock has a story to it. The organism that you see in the rock was once a living creature long, long ago.
And so one of the things that I really like to talk about and one of the things that I'm passionate about is really um, being able to communicate the science with other people. And maybe they'll go into the field. Maybe they'll be interested and passionate just like I am. You seem to be on that cutting edge of modern science where people are putting uh, just as much of an emphasis on the science as science communication. Um, so yeah, you're very much <laughs> uh, on the cutting edge of modern science, I think. Yeah, definitely. Now, uh, I'll ask the inverse question. What's the worst or the most challenging part of your work? Hmm, that's interesting. Um, one of the, well, one of the things that I struggle with is mathematics. Um, one of the things that I have is I'm on the autism spectrum and I have dyscalculia and I'm partially um, dyslexic. And so one of the things that I find challenging is um, the mathematics part of aspect of paleontology, but I'm always learning, learning new things and I'm always jumping over that hurdle. So I think the numbers aspect of it um, kind of um, is very challenging. Also trying to communicate with other people. Um, I have a, I, autism is really kind of like a communication disorder. And so I have a problem communicating with other people. And as a child, I have been learning to communicate with other people, not just in the aspect of paleontology, but just in the world as general, you know, outside of paleontology. And that's always been very difficult for me. But those challenges um, I'm working on overcoming. And one of the things that I really like to talk about is, you know, don't let any, if you have an interest in something, don't let something like maybe a disability or anything get in the way of that. You know, continue to chase after your dreams, continue to be able to work on what you want to do with your life. Uh, now, you just touched on this, uh, but um, do you identify as belonging to any underrepresented com uh, communities? And if so, uh, do you feel like it's affected your, your studies or career? Yes. for So I am autistic. I am on the autism spectrum. And it's one of the reasons why I'm so interested in paleontology in the first place, because I am able to lock in into so much information that most people cannot really you know, grasp at such an early age. And so one of the things that I like to talk about is being on the autism spectrum, being able to communicate with others about what it's like for me and with the things that I um, being able to use and able to help me understand the world. Um, fossils have helped me to be a better science communicator and it's helped me have conversations with other people that I typically don't talk to. I'm much of a loner and so I pretty much keep to myself. But being able to talk about fossils with others has really helped me to communicate with other people. And so I'm definitely part of the neurodiversity community. Um, I'm also an African-American as well. And so one of, the, one of the things that I really like to talk about is the ethnic diversity within paleontology, because paleontology, what you typically see in the field is, you know, a rugged old white guy who is digging up dinosaurs in the badlands of Montana or Wyoming. And that's just not the case. Um, paleontology is filled with people who are on the spectrum or just, or has a disability, um, mental or physical disability. We are people who of color, and we are people who are also um, who are also part of the LGBT commu LGBTQ community. And so, paleontology um, has this just this rare, or not just this rare, but has this um, stereotype that is just all done by men. And it's all done by white guys sticking up dinosaurs in the field. And I think that paleontology could completely erase that stereotype and maybe for focus on the ethnic diversity and the neurodiversity. Absolutely. And I've got to say, uh, you're one of the best science communicators I've come across in a long time. So uh, your hard work and uh, communication is clearly uh, shining through. I appreciate that.
Um, do you feel like paleontology is really open and welcoming or is it more uh, insular and um, intimate? Um, I think it could use a lot more work. Um, I think that you, you definitely have more scientists who are, you know, just mainly focused on their academic part of their research and don't necessarily do more science communication outreach. And I understand why, you know, it's, it's hard for that because, you know, acad being, in an, being in an academic role is really, it's going to be very hard for you to spend a lot more time communicating with people who aren't or people who are, you know, don't have that particular training in science or may not know a lot about the particular field that you're in. And so I think that we can do a lot better in regards to communicating our science to the community. Um, I think it's getting a lot better. I have seen plenty of different organizations that have really talked about science communication and outreach. And so we're getting better, but I think it could be a, it could be used a lot more. Um, paleontology is, a, I believe it's a very opening and welcoming community. Um, it's, it's a great field to learn about the history of the planet and be able to understand how life has changed through time. And I think everybody could have an appreciation for the distant past. And I think it's a very opening and welcoming science. But I think for in regards to opening and welcoming to the LGBTQ community or to the neurodiverse community or even the, um, the ethnic community, I think we could definitely work on that. Yeah. Um, again, that's been a big push for science, uh, scientists to become better communicators. Um, and that, that's kind of in the next wave of scientists. Um, but I mean, it, it, it is a different skill um, other than science. So right. not everyone's going to be great at it. Now, one challenge that everyone's been facing uh, has been the pandemic this past year. Have you been able to keep working through the pandemic or has it affected your work? Um, it has. So when the pandemic first started, we were basically in isolation. And I really wanted, I had plans to go out in the field. In fact, I had plans to go to Illinois and that completely uh, COVID completely destroyed that. And so I had plans to go out of town and it didn't happen. And um, unfortunately, that kind of got me a, got me very sad for a couple of months. But I have been able to do some form of local um, collecting around the state in which I live in. I've been able to collect brachiopods, you know, the typical brachio um, paleozoic fossils. Um, but I have pretty much been secluded for the most part during COVID. Um, so I haven't done much field work. I, bas I have basically been inside, you know, reading a lot of the literature, but not going out in the field as much as I typically have used to before COVID. But now, you know, now that I've been vaccinated and I'm still being, you know, cautious, aware because of some of these new variants are going around, I'm able to do a little bit more field work. I was able to travel throughout Mississippi and Alabama to do collecting and field work. And I'm now... Um, headed off to Alabama to do some more collecting um, in the next couple of weeks or so. Um, so COVID has definitely put a damper on some of the things that I was headed to do um, uh, last year, about two years ago. But uh, thankfully, if things I hope things are getting a lot better, but I'm still keeping aware and still wearing the mask. Excellent. I'm glad you're, glad you're being safe. Yeah. Uh, what do you expect to find in Alabama? I don't know much about the geology over there. So the things that were in Alabama, so we t I typically go with a couple of my fossil hunting friends every year. Um, we haven't gone in two years because of COVID, but now we're able to do that because everyone has been, uh, from the people in our group, are all been vaccinated and things of that nature. Um, I'm headed out to a couple of field sites. Um, one field site is called the Bangor Limestone. 
And what I'm actually looking for are crinoid fossils, things from corals, blastoids, but I'm really out looking for carboniferous shark's teeth. So that's one thing that I really want to look for because it's one of the basis of my research is looking at collecting more teeth for my personal collection, but also for um, maybe forming another paper on something that I may find. And so I'm out looking for that in the Bangor limestone, which is lower carboniferous. And this is about 321 million years old. We're also going to be looking through fossils from the Monegal limestone, which is again upper it's um, carboniferous in age, Mississippian um, if you live in North America, lower carboniferous if you live out of state or out of the country. Um, so we're going to be mainly going and looking at lower carboniferous rock strata, but we're also probably going to be looking at um, Ordovician fossils. And last year we came not last year, but I think back in 2018 we came across a rock strata on the side of the road within a full intact coral reef. And so it was a beautiful um, sight to see where we found a whole intact coral reef. And so we're gonna be looking at some of the fossils that are there as well. Now, your enthusiasm for paleontology is very infectious. Um, what kind of experience or, or uh, background would you um, recommend young people who maybe wanna follow in your footsteps uh, pursue? Oh, great, great question. Um, well. Everybody's background is different. Everybody's, you know, story and how they get interested in science is very different. Um, I always say be curious. If you see a rock on the ground, you know, don't, you know, don't throw it on the ground or maybe skip it, you know, maybe look at it and see all the various different crystals that are inside the rock. Maybe have a, a curiosity of what's there because those rocks are, again, stories of an environment that doesn't exist anymore. Or they may exist, but are long gone. So um, I always say be curious, you know, um, maybe have a take an interest in biology, learning about the various different organisms that are local, that are around the world or even locally in your own backyard. Um, I was a person who would catch lizards and things like that um, around around my home and, and um, look at grass and collect all kinds of things around my home. But have an interest in natural science. Everything starts when you're looking when you're curious. I like to say that scientists I like to say that, you know, children are always natural born scientists. They always have a curiosity of the world. And so let that, don't let that curiosity fade away. Have that curiosity and keep that um, in, you know, in you and be able to you know, ask questions. Asking questions is such a big, important, important aspect of life because if you don't ask questions, you may not know anything. You may not know much of the, anything about the world. So continue to ask questions about um, everything. Question everything. Now, you're quite the inspiring figure. Um, who inspired you while you were uh, learning about paleontology? There was a, there was a, um, from, so basically from watching um, documentaries, because I, I always had an interest in dinosaurs and I would, every, every day I would watch dinosaur documentaries on TV. And so people that would inspire me would be like, you know, Jack Horner um, or Dr. Philip Curry or Dr. Tom Holtz, you know, all these various different paleontologists that were doing field work and studying dinosaurs. And so looking at them on the TV and they're digging up dinosaurs and talking about dinosaurs really was like, you know, I want to do the same thing. I want to go and dig up dinosaurs. I want to go and look for fossils. And so being able to see that on TV and, and looking at the History Channel and Discovery Channel really helped me or inspired me to be wanting to be in the field of paleontology, but not just paleontologists in general, um, having an interest in other different types of fields like ast astronomy or astrophysics. Stephen Hawking comes to mind. I've always really loved that, that particular scientist 
and he was a really influential figure in my life. Um, going, just asking questions, asking the bigger questions about, you know, where we come from. How old is the universe? Was there a big bang? You know, all these various different huge aspects of science that I will never go into because it's just way above my understanding, but it's still very interesting. And being able to look at these various different scientists and saying, I could probably do this one day. Uh, now I'm curious, you are at the beginning of your career, but what would you like to be the legacy of your career when you retire? That's a, that's, that's a good question. <laughs> that's a really good question. Um, legacy. I really want people to have an interest in the natural world, not just in paleontology, but just science in general. I think we can talk, we, I think we can come so much far or we can, we can learn about the history of the planet from basically having other people communicate that science with you, whether that's a scientist or anybody else who takes an interest in it. And so I really want to be able to communicate that, you know, fossils are everywhere. You know, you don't have to go far, far away to look for the nat for look for the distant past. The things that you, the, the the floor tiles that you're walking on. I made a post on Twitter just a couple just about yesterday that I was walking in the mall and all you gotta do is look down. And you'll see fossils that are actually, you'll see the um, cross-sections of gastropods and bivalves and sponges on the floor tiles of the mall. So I like to be able to say that, you know, the distant past is all around you. You may not be able to notice it at first, but the rocks that you see on the highway or the floor tiles that are made of granite or limestone, those are all remnants of an ancient environment that has existed. Some of them are deep, deep below the earth that are, you know, thousands of miles and kilometers below the earth that are, you know, extremely hot that humans will never get to go to, or some of them can be uh, the fossilized remains of ancient seas that once existed. And so one of the things that I like to talk about is, you know, the past is all around you, that rocks are the, um, the, the time machines, that we are the time travelers. And I want to be able to, I want to help people to say, to be able to communicate that it's, it's all there. You just have to stay curious and pay attention. Absolutely. Even here in Vancouver, we've got uh, fossil beds in the city itself, but um, not dinosaurs, just leaves, but still. Anything from the distant past, yeah. Only about 20 million years old. Older than human civilization. By the way, uh, your Twitter account is amazing. That's um, how I became aware of you. If people want to follow, follow you, what would they be following? Or what should they look for? Uh, so my, paleo handle, uh, my Twitter handle is Paleo Cameron. And I talk about various different topics in paleontology and geology. Um, I also talk about um, social issues in regards to um, the diversity within paleontology and how we should be able to fix that particular problem and how we can make that problem better and how we can you know, fill in the gap. Excellent, I'll have to check that out. Now, my final question for you for today, um, I find that a field that a person enters at the beginning of their career can be completely different by the time they retire. Uh, so what changes do you see coming to paleontology and what advice would you have for young people to anticipate some of those changes? Ooh, that's a really good question. Um, I can see a lot of things changing within paleontology. I think one of the biggest things um, is the technological changes that we're already seeing now. We're seeing a lot of technology being used within studying, uh, studying fossils. And so one of the things that I really like to say is like, don't be secluded to learning new things. Um, I'm not a computer person myself at all, <laughs> but I'm. But paleontology uh, is a lot of paleontology is computer based. 
you know, learning how to create chelatograms and learning how to create a phylogenetic tree. Coding is a really big thing that some paleontologists use. So one of the things that I really want to really want to communicate with others is don't stop learning new things. If something is really important to the aspect of paleontology, um, try to maybe figure out a way to try to learn it. Um, I always like to communicate learning new things is how the field expands. Like we were saying before, uh, there's so many different fields that overlap to make paleontology the field that it is. Right. You are absolutely right. Well, Cameron, those are all the questions I have for you for today. Uh, is there anything I missed or anything you want to add before I let you go? Um, I think that's it. I think, yeah. Well, thanks for sitting down with me today to share your passion and your stories. And uh, I wish you all the best in your upcoming digs. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to On Earth. On Earth is hosted by me and produced by myself, Kirsten Hodge, our editor Mel Woods, and Ollie Beebe designed our logo. On Earth is made possible thanks to the generous support of the Canadian Geological Foundation. For more episodes like this one, please visit our website at pme.ubc.ca slash learn slash podcast, or listen on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next week, here on Earth.